this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, once again, yes. we are joined by a member of our Patreon community who has selected a record. He's been here numerous times, famously for the Kiss episode. <laughs> one of the most legendary episodes in the history of the podcast uh but also chris martz welcome back what other episodes have you joined us for previously do you recall i remember last year was cafe to cuba yes oh my uh, God, was that a year ago that was a year oh ago oh my god <laughs> yeah that was my uh yearly pick last year so because <laughs> wow. i remember Last year was the 25th anniversary of that record. That's why I picked it last year. Um, so yeah, there was. I, w- I would have guessed that was like maybe four months ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just what's going on. By. It's just flying by. March was yeah. 700 days long, but a year ago feels like it was three months ago. I don't know how that Chris, works. Chris has been on six episodes. We got to start like keeping tally to see who's been on the most. I think I want I want to say you and I have been on the most. Well, we don't yeah. count. <laughs> we don't count. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious to know who's been on the most. Chris might be up there with uh, with regards to the most episodes. So we'll yeah, have to figure I that out. The, uh, so I was on the Brainiac episode. Yeah, the Warp Tour roundtable. That's right, and uh, far. Mm-hmm. Into another, and I think there was one more. I can't remember. Oh, the uh, tribute or the tribute album is the one we did recently. That one too. Well, there you go. Did he miss any Jay? I well, I don't think I have him credited for Into Another. Were you? I might have shortchanged you. Uh-oh. Or was it a suggestion? No, I was. I did. I did that episode with you guys. Okay. Well, yeah. Jay, Seven. let's correct that. Let's get the uh, let's get the interwebs uh, up to date. Next. Oof, that's uh, we dinged him get, one. Where's get the intern in here now <laughs> right. and find out what happened because that's unacceptable. Steve, that was unacceptable. You're fired. <laughs> Go home. You're not. You're not. Not getting paid anymore. <laughs> uh, tell us and our listeners, Chris, what is your suggestion for this year? Uh, my suggestion this time around was an album that I've had in my back pocket for a while as a pick and just want to take it back to Kansas City because you guys did the Giants Chair episode recently. So I picked uh, Season to Risk's 1994 album, In a Perfect World. Yes, the, the hub of post-hardcore in the 90s, Kansas City. Uh, we're learning that. 
as we as we make our way through Shiner and Giant's Chair and uh, some other bands that we, we realized, oh, there was a huge scene happening in in Kansas City. So maybe in the future there'll be a dig in your scene, Kansas City, possibly. We'll see how it goes. Um, how did you discover this band? I actually saw them live when they were touring for this record. Uh, they opened for Corrosion and Conformity, and, and they, it was just, there was just something weird about them. It was like they were just noisy and kind of chaotic. And it was like, well, I'm gonna check that out. And then I, whenever when I'm always thinking of records to review, I always I'm always and one thing I love about the '90s is you have all these bands that were signed by major labels that kind of had no business being on a major <laughs> label because they're never going to sell millions of records. And it's something like it's just very nineties about that. And this is one of those, like this is one of those records that I can't believe Columbia put it out, but it made it easier to find. And I, I've, I ever since I saw them live, I picked up this record. I've just loved this record. Yeah. So uh, this band for their first two records, they were both on Columbia records which is, I mean, we'll get into it, but it's a little shocking. Um, their their lineage, as far as a band, we'll get a little history here. History of the band. The members were in two different punk bands. One was called Nine Lives, the other was called Curious George. And uh, they got together to form Season to Risk, and they won a battle of the bands. And that got them free studio time. So they made a demo cassette and ended up uh, sending it to this guy named Jake Wisely at an indie label out of Minneapolis called Red Decibel. And he happened at that time to be working out a deal for his label with Columbia Records. So when he signed them, he you know basically upstreamed them to Columbia and they went and did more demos and ended up recording their first uh their first record and then going out on a tour. And that was, you know, the first record came out in, um, 92. So this is right at the beginning of the nineties when the, when the debut comes out and then they're, they go out on tour and come back to make Interperfect world, which comes out in 94 again on Columbia. And I got to imagine like Columbia is probably thinking, you know, 94 it's when you, You've got what third record from Pearl Jam. You've got uh, Nirvana's second record. You're probably trying to position them in that like alternative grunge space. And then hearing this record, you're like, oh, that's not where that's going, apparently. Um, <laughs> but the original uh, members from the beginning are Steve Tulipana, vocals, guitar, and synths. And Dwayne Trower, guitar, backing vocals, uh, and synths. And then um, they've gone through a lot of drummers and a lot of bass players. This is like Spinal Tap level drummers when I say they've gone through drummers. Mm. I'm talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten different drummers. <laughs> That's a lot. And three bass players, or four bass players. So originally, the original bass player was Paul Malinkowski. He was there until this record, and he left to go join Shiner. 
after this. And then the original um, drummer, well, there's a lot. There's Tim Dow was a drummer at some point, which we've had Tim Dow on the show. He also played in China and some other bands. Um, a guy named Jerry Baton was the drummer for a short period of time. Um, P- Peter Murray was the drummer for two years, 91, 92. And then he was replaced by Chad Sabin uh, for two years, 92 to 94. And then in 94, Jason Gherkin joined the band, and he is the drummer on this record. He only played on this record. He was only in the band for one year, and then he left to go join Shiner. <laughs> so this is sort of like the... Um, you joined Season of Risk in the rhythm section, and then you go join Shiner uh, after this, after you're in yeah, the Yeah, well, Jason Gherkin also played in uh, Molly Maguire, That's which right. is another Kansas City band. Yeah, so um, I was listening to the first Molly Maguire record today, and like, I still love that one because of his drumming. And so you have this, this tight-knit scene where you have these guys just jumping from band to band and playing here and there because, like, you know... You've got Josh Newton also from, he played bass later on in Season to Risk. And, you know, he was in Glaze Baby. He's in, mm-hmm. currently in Shiner right now. He he ended up, I think he's the guitar tech for one of the guys in Fallout Boy. And he played in that band, The Damn Things also. So it's like, you've got all these guys who just jump around and do all that. It's really cool to see all these different guys in these different bands. And it's like, Oh, I, I recognize the, the drums like the, that from this guy and this guy here. So, so interesting after this, they got released by Columbia, believe it or not. <laughs> However, they had taken a bunch of money that they had gotten from Columbia and built their own recording studio. Oh, which, good. Yes. As yes. you know, is the smart thing to do in the nineties. <laughs> if you take those huge advances and you build now here's the sad news. So they're from Kansas City, right? And they're in Missouri, and the Missouri River flooded and oh, destroyed no. their van and their recording studio. But they oh. had recorded oh. their record, Men Are Monkeys, Robots Win, which came out on <laughs> Thick Records in 1998. However, there was a screw-up when it was, when it was pressed, and it was pressed out of phase. So you had to like unplug one of your stereo speakers slightly to get it phased correctly. What? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh it sounds God. like really tinny because it was pressed out of phase. They have since repressed it with the correct phasing. But yeah, so this band has had some troubles with regards to <laughs> members leaving destruction of property not their fault um some issues in the studio (laughs) and so then they released their final record the shattering on owned and operated records in 2001 they also had a number of eps and singles um the artwork for this album the legendary artwork uh, or poster artist Derek hess did the album artwork uh, Derek Hess, of course, I believe is from Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. And I always thought this band was from the Midwest or, you know, more from the Cleveland area because of that, just because I had never seen his artwork for a, a band that wasn't from the area. 
and the um the the last record was co-produced uh by bill stevenson who bill stevenson of the descendants the, the uh, apparently there was a friendship going back years and years with the descendants um i i get the sense that because of this band was a road machine if you look at the number of bands that they played with um over i mean really what's over just about a 10-year career it's pretty impressive um everything from the melvins to babes in toyland to quicksand to fugazi helmet arches of loaf um giant's chair of course because they're from uh kansas city as well um obviously shiner and molly mcguire as well uh coalesce the get up kids Jawbox, neurosis Zen Gorilla. There's just like, there's just a ton of bands that are listed on their uh, hum they played with. There are just a ton of bands from their, um, on their Wikipedia page that they, uh, they play with. The producer on this record is Martin Bissy or Bissy. Uh, one of those guys with like 500 credits to his name between the eighties and nineties and two thousands, mostly as a recording engineer, but he also did production work. Um, he, he worked on, uh, you know, helmets records cop shot cop uh railroad jerk the swans um chainsaw kittens and just a ton of indie rock uh in the 80s 90s and and 2000s comments at uh patreon let's get through these um, Gary Moran said, after 500 episodes, there are still bands I've never heard of. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I would say that even after 500 episodes, there are still bands that Jay and I are like, I've never heard of that band. Every- I'm starting to think that's not as remarkable as when some of our patrons like Gary say that. Cause I know, uh, obviously from paying attention to people's comments and like their ability to, to comment on nearly every record we put up, it's actually a lot more remarkable when some folks like that haven't. That's true. The band. That is true. I've, I've quickly come to realize I didn't know as much about the nineties as I thought I did. I, I think everybody's got their areas and yeah. then everybody's got their blind spots. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Scott Holgram said, it's my favorite thing. When somebody else picks an album I'd been considering, I might've chosen their debut, but I like them both equally. Eric Peterson said the self-titled season risk album has been on my short list for picks for a long time. And while I owned a, in a perfect world at one point, I did not resonate with me in the same way as their first record. My impression was that perfect world moved towards a heavier stoner rock sound than the first record at the time I was put off by that, but giving a perfect world a quick scan, it sounds more like the self-titled than I remembered. So now that I have typed this, all without looking at the other comments i see that scott pretty much is on the same page <laughs> he said i think the self-titled had better cover art of the two you hmm. dissing Derek hess i hope not i hope not scott or or eric um james stelter said pick this out of a dollar bin many moons ago Recognize the name and dug the Derek S. Hess artwork. I bet Steve or Gherkin would love to talk to you about it. Legendary musicians. If we do the Kansas City digging your scene, we'll definitely reach out to them. We didn't have enough time to to reach out. Uh, sometimes the schedule just doesn't work out that way when we're um, listening to stuff. 
Because last thing we want is to go, hey, do you want to join the podcast? We haven't listened to the record yet. And then go, oh, this record's terrible. <laughs> no, I think digging uh, the digging your scenes is a great place yeah. to have folks like that one. Yep. Willie Dillon said, I downloaded Season to Risk stuff but hadn't gotten around to listening to it. So this was a good excuse. I'm liking what I'm hearing. Sounds like they could have been on Discord and yet they were on Columbia. Pretty surprising. Kyle Bittner, I've never heard of this band before, so thanks for the recommendation. Great sound and a perfect precursor to metal and noise rock currently being released. Steven Musinski, I was literally listening to this band yesterday wondering if I should consider this one of their albums for my 12-month pick next year. A lot of people had this on their short list. That's pretty cool. Lots of members from Season of Risk would go on to play with Shiner. In fact, at one point, it may have been a required prerequisite to join Shiner. Regardless, a very overlooked band from Kansas City. I'm excited for this one. Wondering where Tim and Jay will land on the vocals. If you ask me, this can go toe-to-toe with the Jesus Lizard or even Tad, and that's coming from a Tad superfan. Track 2, Remembered versus Sexy God Missy. Now that's a good heavyweight matchup right there. Seriously, though, the vocal delivery on this record is manic. It's menacing, and it's fucking dirty. He even channels a little Tim Singer for me, one of my all-time favorite hardcore vocalists. What I like most about the vocal here is how varied his approach is. He can go from talking to yelling to screaming to kind of sort of singing here and there and then back again. I love it. And then finally, Richard Waterman says, as Steven says, most people know about the Shiner connection. The sound as a whole is a lot harsher and has a more post-hardcore edge. It is not as structured as Shiner or some of the other KC bands. They are more similar to Molly Maguire in the vocal department. As Steven said, a very manic delivery. I'm not such a fan of this kind of vocal. I prefer more actual singing. The instrumental side of the band is where I most enjoyed this record. Jason Gherkin is a top five drummer for me, and his performance is excellent as always. So those are our comments. We also did a poll. We'll get to the poll when we choose our rating at the end of the episode however jay tell me one thing you liked about in a perfect world by season risk well a lot of folks mentioned it i think the drumming is um remarkable uh a lot of subtle accents and intricate tom parts and um just a lot of personality overall, especially with like how the bass player plays with the drummer, which was kind of shocking to me when you say like, when you mentioned that they've had so many drummers, it as somebody who's played drums, well, even in, in guitar. And when I hear music like this, I can't wrap my head around how you could ever join this band and figure out how to play these songs. If you did not perform them in the first place. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand how that works um, for bands like this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the the drumming and the bass, there's so much going on there, and it's so solid. Um, and it has such a, th- I guess, a thick, heavy sound to it that almost anything the guitars do over top of it is going to work. Um, Guitar-wise, it's it's interesting. They, they do a lot of, um, like, low-note, high-note high note riffs. So it'll be like, you know, doom, doom, da these high harmonic pitch things um, all over the record. And sometimes I don't know if they're like bending or if it's distortion from the amp or again, like if I was like to 
I don't know how somebody could join this band and play guitar because I wouldn't even know how to make some of the sounds they're making guitar wise. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that, but with that really, you know, competent and creative drumming, you know, you can do a lot of, I guess, noisy guitar stuff that doesn't always have to be precise. So you kind of get like bursts of riffs and then just noise and chaos, um, which I think is, you know, what this band is about. Um, so I, you know, I think they've got the right elements to pull that together in a way that's, it's still musical. Like it doesn't just turn into, uh, all out, you know, uh, noise and dissonance. Uh, and then vocally it's kind of interesting. Like it, it covers a lot of ground. I mean, for this kind of music, mm-hmm. I don't know that he's, um, he's ever really like super, I don't want to say not melodic, but like, he's never like a straight up vocalist. I mean, it doesn't sound like the guy from Shiner. Um, no, but he covers a lot of other types of vocals that I think sometimes are um, pretty successful. So I, I hear like in Jack Frost, I hear some Craig Finn of whole city um, in the way that he hmm. kind of does that spoken delivery thing. But then in like nausea, to me, he sounds like Lemmy, you know, he's doing like a gravelly voice, almost Lemmy type sound. And then he does some spoken things and some more screaming things. And uh, there's some two part vocals too, where there seems to be like more than one person singing. And they're almost like uh, talking across the song. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Like an so absolution. Like, yeah. It's like the band is just making this chaotic noise. And then it just sounds like there's two or three people across the room talking to each other, but like in a singing format, which is pretty interesting. So, you know, for this genre, I don't always have high hopes uh, for the vocals, but there was some pretty cool stuff here. Um, I would say the only, um, well, I, I won't get into what I didn't like, but when it's, uh, it takes a little bit of time to get through what the vocal is doing. Um, but once you kind of like get a couple listens in and you start to hone more into it, there's a lot going on there that's that's actually um, you know, f- kind of m- melodic or song oriented, you know, mm-hmm. um, and not just totally just screaming. Um, but it just takes a little time to get there. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool mix of, um, what sounds to me like, like a very, like from a drum, obviously from a drum standpoint, it eats in that shiner territory, like with the parts. Um, but it's got a guitar approach that's, a lot more aggressive and noisy. Uh, mentioning absolution that reminded me a lot of Jawbox, in in the, on the more chaotic end. Went not the yeah. like, you know, savory, uh, you know, the, the more restrained end. But there are those crazy moments in Jawbox songs where Jay Robbins just lets go and screams, and sometimes there's a um, a doubled vocal and or or a, a vocal that he's playing off of. Um, that 
totally hit home. Like that song was really cool. And I, I, this band, it, when they're in their three minute, you know, a little bit above or a little bit be- be- uh, uh, over, when they're in that space and they're just tearing through these songs, that to me is like what works best is yeah. I just want like, th- you know, three minutes of just chaos. And you mentioned it, like Jason Gherkin's drumming is just, I just listen to him play in combination with the bass player. Cause they are just so locked in and, you know, he does stuff from one verse to the other where he is changing up so much of his playing, but maintaining the rhythm, but just switching from playing toms to, you know, there's a, a part where, you know, oh, there's crazy accents on cymbals and then, you know, snare fills. And, and as someone who doesn't play drums, but knows enough about everything that he's hitting, like, I'm just like, how does he just do that with two arms? Like, it's just crazy yeah. how much how much percussion is happening on those songs. And it doesn't sound busy. It just sounds like um detailed like he knows exactly what he's doing on those parts and i like you said i cannot imagine the drummer coming in after him n- nailing all of that yeah perfectly. like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah i think uh like future sense or future tense is a great example of like that song to me is very drum driven and the guitars actually kind of are almost behind the drums which gives it this like rolling engine feel like you just feel like you're listening to a like a really loud like V8 engine like running, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the drums are like boom, 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 and the guitars are like kind of behind it, and you almost get this feeling of um like the whole song is speeding up and slowing down just based on that drum part. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And everybody's just trying to like lock in and follow that. It's it's a really interesting example of like just how important drums are and like what can happen when you really lock in with somebody that's this talented and you just kind of go with it. You can just create stuff that, um, sounds super original, but also like, I just like really emotive and, um, um, tight. What what is the appeal to you? What works best for you on this record? Well, I'm glad you guys mentioned it because uh, for all these years I've been listening to this record, I've just been blown away by the bass and the drums and the way that they just work in tandem together to set this foundation for each of these songs where it just lets the vocals and the guitar go off and do what they want to do, but then circle back around to a cohesive unit it's just every time i listen like 
so Martin Vesey around this time, he, he some of the other records he was doing, like he did an Unsane record, and then he did uh, Mind Over Matters, Auto Manipulation. He did a Die One Sixteen record, which all those bands are from New York. And to take this band from Kansas City, basically use the same production style, which is still very dirty and dissonant, but the bass is just so high in the mix that that's the first thing that you hear, and it just sets it just lays the foundation for every single song. And it's all these years later, I'm just amazed at how well the drums and the bass work on this record. Yeah. And it's interesting that the first song it's basically drum and bass introducing the record and that bass is loud. And it mm-hmm. definitely, I definitely got the Jesus lizard, you know, the Jesus lizard bass is a little bit more, mid-range grindy if that's the right way to put it reminds me of uh of the jawbox bass tone in some respects and this has a little bit more low end to it but it's interesting i had i hadn't i didn't know about his connection to the new york bands but i can definitely hear that in the sense of uh you know we covered the new york scene and and I definitely hear some helmet in parts of this, although this pushes far beyond what helmet was doing as far as post hardcore, you know, they're, they were a bit more riff oriented. I think I always think of them as being about the, the riffs first, as opposed to the rhythm section, although they always had a really strong rhythm section. Um, was quite like the reason that I brought it is that because like that mind over matter record is, one of the greatest post-hardcore records of all time. Um, it, it's one of those. It's one of those records that I have in my back pocket for a review one of these days. But so few people have ever heard it, and it just has like the. It, they actually have two guitar players in that band, but you still hear the bass so high on that record, and to hear that like from, they don't really sound uh, stylistically like Season to Risk does. That's why I love the Season to Risk record so much is because it sounds similar, but it's just so distorted and dissonant, and the vocals are so dirty that it's very chaotic, but it's so well put together. Yeah, and speaking of chaotic, you know, it's, it is always interesting to me when you take a band like this, and they're so quick in their changes – that sometimes I'm like, I don't understand. This is like almost at a jazz level of of playing where they will p- play a part and it only hit for like one measure. And you're just like, I don't know what just happened. And the drummer does something crazy with a fill and there's a, you know, a harmonic guitar lead and a, and a dissonant, you know, a counter. And I, the bass is doing something cool. And I just... I can't comprehend how they that's even written. Like my mind can't even uh, uh, stretch that far because I'm always thinking, Oh, you know, just four, four and, and uh, you know, very basic in terms of that. So when I hear stuff like this, that has these quick intricate, you know, multi time signatures in the same song changes are that are happening. I just, I kind of like (laughs) take a step back and go, uh, I I just got to appreciate what they're doing because it's I can't imagine pulling that off myself. 
Well, guitar wise, like too, it's probably even more. I, I, I think it's more difficult because the chords they play are not, I don't know what they are. Like they're just made up <laughs> chords or they're weird and or they're weird tunings. So to learn this stuff, like where do you even begin to start? Like, it's not like they're just playing power chords or like no. cowboy chords here. So like, unless the person showed you how to play it, I, I don't understand how you even come close um, to figuring it out. I mean, th- now there are, there are some, Sections in here that are like, you know, kind of drop D tuning style chuggy chuggy riffs that I can yeah. imagine figuring out. But there there's lots of noisy sequences where yeah, my my head begins to spin and trying to figure out uh, what exactly is going on. I got to imagine it's a if it's not a drop D tuning, maybe it's even darker than that. Maybe it's a, maybe they're tuned to C. But I got to imagine some of those other strings are are messed with as well yeah. because you're just getting so many weird dissonant combinations and i know just from finger placement like if you're doing that you either you have a giant hand yeah <laughs> or you have tuned your guitar a certain way that those notes are closer together so you can do it with true you know, yeah uh in the same way that like sonic youth would have a lot of different tunings to get a lot of different weird sounds yeah of course, they're, you know, they're probably be like, no, we just tuned to drop D and that was it. And I'm like, OK, I don't know how you're doing this. Then. <laughs> you have really long fingers. That's, that's the only way I can figure it out. Um, and now it can also put you in a place where um, that would make a lot of sense for them, because there's a lot of sections where. You know, it's just kind of noisy um, and. Mm-hmm. It would it would make me think that if they were in a particular type of tuning, open tuning of some kind that like you can almost hit any string and you're okay. <laughs> you know, uh, if you tune it the right way, you can kind of get in the space where it's like, you're pretty much playing everything with one finger and anything else you do, like some kind of inky in some way. So I could see that be parting, being part of the formula. I also like, you know, there are aspects to this band. I, I know I mentioned a lot of like chaos happening and stuff, but they know how to find a groove too. like time bomb has a really cool locked in groove for quite a bit of that song. And he, there's somebody's doing like a, a double bend noise thing for a while through that song. I don't know if it's the lead singer or the, or the second guitar player, but they, they know how to like lock in and just ride it for a little while which yeah. I appreciate because yeah. you have to have some reprieve from the, from the madness every once in a while. <laughs> it's or else it can get, get overwhelming. There's only really one song where I found myself kind of going, um, what? And that was um, Terrain Vague, which is in yeah. the middle of the record. And it's like a six and a half minute long spoken word about Mars. And <laughs> I don't know what's going on. 
in that song. Chris, can you exp- do you know what's going on in that song? Uh, I have no clue. All I know is he's talking about cooking macaroni. Um, <laughs> that's all I get from it. But uh, yeah, I don't know if they just needed a slower song and they want to draw something out before kicking it back in in the second half of the record. But because I'm guessing I have this on vinyl, but I don't have it with me. So I'm guessing this might be at the LP break where you flip the record over and it would probably start on Invisible Me, which is a pretty fast song. But yeah, Terrain Vague, I've got. Yeah, I'm, I'm lost on that one. <laughs> Jay, what'd you, what was your take on that song? Yeah, it's it's really long. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. It's I mean, double everything it else on the record. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's unfortunate that it's like right in the middle of the record because in the CD format, um, you know, this is not an easy listen. You know, it's there's a lot going on. It's very intense. Um, when you, it's only forty three minutes, but when you get through forty three minutes of this, you are exhausted. Um, so to have that in the middle was questionable. I could see how it could work better on vinyl. You know, because I think then you can. Uh, decide not to finish that song and just spin the record over and sort of like take a pause and start again. Um, but on a CD or a streaming format, it's, 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 it's a pretty rough one to get through. This was, as Chris mentioned, released on vinyl. They did the thing where they had, you know, they were on a major label, but they were still able to release the vinyl record through the original indie that they had signed with. So, and you can still pick, up copies on discogs for like a reasonable price. Uh, cause I did double check that before, uh, before the show. So I think, uh, I think there was one for like 20 bucks, which is, yeah, I, I, I found bad. it at a, I found it at a record show years ago, just flipping through I think for 10 bucks and it's on blue vinyl or something. I'm like, I'll buy that. Why not? <laughs> it's a great There's record. Always random, weird, records that pop up on colored vinyl like i have that luster record that we did and it's on blue vinyl i don't think luster probably sold you know more than a few thousand copies of that record but they got it pressed yeah. to vinyl well it, it's like uh like free conica by girls against boys double yep. blue vinyl uh my brother has a uh, happy days by Catherine wheels on clear uh, i think double clear vinyl yep um just weird just weird stuff like that that you know sure i'll buy it and you know you hang on <laughs> to it long enough you hang on to it long enough and it's actually worth money but so yep uh or you end up randomly picking it up at a record show where some old guy doesn't know what it is exactly <laughs> i've had that happen uh so other than that jay are there is there any other aspects of this record that don't work for you yeah i mean the um it's intense, you know, so it it's it's a bit exhausting to get through it. I think the I really like this parts where the guitars just quiet down a little bit and give the drums and bass some space. And actually, like the mix becomes so dense um, that it becomes difficult to hear like the kick drum and some of the bass at times. So and the vocal is like I mentioned earlier. I think there's some pretty cool stuff going on vocally here, but it's really hard to get to. Like, I feel like I really have to dig through those guitars um, to get to it. And 
I don't think the guitars are the star of this band. You know, I, I think that this this album would have been better served if they would have mixed the guitars down a little bit um, and had it be more of a drum vocal focus. Um, use some of that awesome. I mean, it's a really cool bass tone, too. It's a kind of a grindy, very busy bass playing. So there's, a, there's enough going on bass there that you don't need a ton of guitar um, from a mix standpoint to make it sound big. And I think the guitars have just pulled back a little bit, then could be a bit more complimentary and maybe, um, you know, just add the, 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 the noisy element, but the way it's mixed, it's just like guitar super loud in your face and they're very noisy guitars with a lot of dissonance and harmonics and crazy stuff going on. So like you have to dig through that to get to like those moments where, it's just bass and drums. And then you realize like, Oh, that's actually a really good bass tone. And like, yeah, the drum parts are cool. And like the vocalist is doing, and then finally you're like, Oh yeah, I guess the singer is actually doing some stuff here. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was just yelling. <laughs> um, so that, that's probably my biggest complaint about this is just, uh, that mix for all the reasons I just listed. And then just overall, that just adds up to it being very fatiguing. And I realize that's kind of the point of this music, but I think it could be a little less and a little bit more approachable um, and still have the same kind of impact in the, the day if it was uh, just mixed a little bit better. I, you know, I thought I was going to dislike his vocal, but there's enough personality from song to song that I did not find it repetitive or grating where I have had that problem with some other singers who have a lot of, screaming and not a lot of melody yeah and i feel like he's got the right mixture and maybe that's because he dials it down and it helps to balance a little bit better um but it was definitely it was definitely something i was worried about going in and then once it you know i played it over and over again it's like oh this is actually this is working for me. So it, it really, the only thing that got on my nerves was just the length of, uh, of, uh, uh, terrain vague and, and I, you know, vertical drive is fine at the end, but I get that could have been short. It doesn't need to be seven and a half minutes. Um, I, I just, this style does not work for me in, in long stretches. It works for me perfectly in three minutes and when the band is on fire and and i i get what you're saying like there are times where there's so much chaos that it's hard to lock into anything and it's it definitely works best to me for when the drums and the bass are the heaviest element as opposed to like a chugging guitar riff i if they if the guitars are doing like leads or or little riffs here and there but when they when they drill down into those like big heavy riffs that are in the same sort of frequency as the bass that's where it starts to get a little muddy yeah and then you start to realize then you start to fixate on like oh this is kind of similar to the riff in the last song you know and you're like "Mm." um I, i think the 
um, not only sonically, but also just like conceptually for serving this type of music. The guitars are, uh, again, they're more like a texture and, and accent than the main focus. Um, that makes sense. So, um, yeah, I think a remix would be, would be awesome to clean that up. Yeah. And as far as I can tell, this has not been re-released. They have re-released, like I mentioned, the, um, the third record because of the pressing issue and they have put up that album and the shattering, which is the 2001 record are both available on their Bandcamp page. But the first two Columbia records, which makes sense because Columbia is probably being difficult uh, or even, or maybe they, their masters burned up. Who knows? They might've been involved in that whole thing. Which label was it that had their masters all burn up and now we can't listen to things. Oh yeah. Who was that? Was it Atlantic? I don't know. Well, it was whatever was... Um, didn't Nirvana lose some stuff? So that would be Geffen. But was Geffen uh, it's connected? A Universal. It was Universal. Okay. So So who owns Columbia? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take us a while. Yeah. Got to drill through a whole bunch of... Original recordings by Chuck Berry, Holland Wolf, Ruth and Franklin, Elton John, and Nirvana, Eminem, and Snoop Dogg were destroyed. Let's so it's see. universal music, so it could be... Yeah, it's like Geffen, Interscope, A&M, Dozens FCA. of labels, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if Columbia was involved in that then, but I know, I know other artists have had a tough time getting uh, their masters for re-releases without forking over a big chunk of change. Uh, to get it done. So Chris, and this, is there, and this is still not available on any streaming service that I could find. Nope. First two records are not available. Well, it's, it's available on Spotify under they re uh, they re-released or they put out like a compilation from like 92 to 97. So if you go on uh, Spotify under 92 to 97 disc two, it's the first 11 tracks on Spotify. Oh, yeah, sneaky. I did not know that. Let's see. Well, what do you know? There it is. You sneaky SOBs. It's yeah, yeah, it's easier than finding the CD and pulling it back out. (laughs) Well, I had the MP3s. I don't know uh, when Uh, I got them. I probably got them from uh, the I Hate the 90s blog because I downloaded just tons of stuff from there. Mm-hmm. But this will be useful to post up on our on our page for this episode. Chris, is there anything that doesn't work for you on this record? I know you mentioned having some issues with uh, Terrain Vague, but yeah, other than that... Just, I mean, the vocals are a little low in the mix. Um, I could use a little bit more, but if you're going to go with so such distorted vocals they, they, i guess it works but um yeah the, honestly what i appreciate the most about this band is just the music though so i can't i can't complain too much about the the mix or the album in general so can you imagine being the a&r guy at columbia and getting this record and trying to figure out how to position it in such a way that they can sell records in line with whatever the big, you know, hard rock, alternative rock 
bands are in 1994, 95. Like that's they had yeah. to have been pretty confounded. <laughs> but when they, I mean, like so, like like I said, I saw them when they opened for Corrosion of Conformity, and Corrosion of Conformity was on the Deliverance record at that time, which was their foray into a more stonery kind of. Mm-hmm. Definitely a more radio-friendly sound. So that, that tour kind of worked. Um, but yeah, like a record like this was never going to make it on alternative radio. Um, so that's why I said, like, you have all these weird records that were released by major labels in the 90s that probably had no business being there. And that A&R guy probably didn't work there for too much longer after this. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was not a good idea. Uh let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP decent single? I'll give the results of the Patreon poll in a moment. Jay, where do you land? Well, personally, I think it's a very worthy EP. <laughs> um just because I find it so intense. It's difficult. 45 minutes for me. Um, so I think I would be more um, into it if it was, you know, four or five songs. Um, just to be able to kind of digest it all and be able to, I think, spend the time. This is also a record like you need to just spend some time with it. Probably listening to it in like headphones, listening to it in speakers, like to get through everything that's going on and uh, a, re- a full record at in 20 in 2020 is, 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 is a tall ask with this much going on. So I mean, AP, I, I, some of the standout tracks to me are Jack Frost, nausea, which I think is my favorite song on the record. Um, it's kind of more of a almost four on the floor kind of feel to it. It has a drive to it. Um, Time Bomb and Future Tense are a couple of songs that really stood out to me as uh, the ones I I would like to continue to listen to. And um, I think an EP makes sense for me personally. I'm going to go with an album because I would just dump Terrain Vague and Vertical Drive. I mean, and that is right there. You're losing um, 14 minutes Mm. of the record, which takes you to a 30 minute record. Yeah. With those nine songs that are left. And to me, that's kind of perfect. Like a yeah. half hour of power and <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's ideal. I mean, it's, in some respects, that's an EP, but that's a that's a perfectly fine record for a band of this intensity. And like you said, I, I can't take uh, I had to listen to it and then like take a break and then I would listen to it again. I couldn't listen to this over and over yeah. because it, I would, you know just, what? I would want to go it, like jump outside and, and start, you know, boxing or something. I get, I didn't realize it. Cause when I listened to it, I wasn't looking at the track uh, count. Yeah. If you pulled those two songs off, this would be a very different experience for me. I, I think those songs like are probably where I feel the fatigue. Um, mm. It's like, oh my god! Like, okay, I'm exhausted. Um, my ears are exhausted. Like mentally, I'm exhausted. But that, like you said, that's a huge amount of the record between those two songs. That's one um, third of the record between those. You still have nine tracks left. 
which I think would feel so much so different if those two weren't on there. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Were the album better EP, decent single? Obviously not a decent single. No, definitely, definitely were the album. Uh, I was going to say, like, even if you take those two songs out, you've got way, way more great songs on here than you do, you know, mediocre ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a good album that uh, even when I'm listening to it in the car, uh, I find myself, you know, fast forwarding past terrain vague just to get some of the faster stuff. Uh, but if I'm if I'm on a long drive and I want to listen to this album all the way through, it's still a great listen all the way through. Um, I mean, the one good thing I can say about Terrain Vague though is the the contrast between going from the end of that song into uh, like a fast song like Invisible Me. That's one of my favorite parts of the record. Although Terrain Vague does drag a little bit, but all in all, just a great it's a great record. I, it's it's so unique and just such a great kind of portrait of where Kansas city was in the middle of the nineties. So over a Patreon, nine out of 10 people said we're the album. 90% of our voters. That's might be the most, uh, votes and most, uh, biggest discrepancy. Chris is the most loved album in Patreon history. (laughs) (laughs) Only one vote for a decent single. Yeah. Wow. There you go. So on episode, what is this, number seven then? Yes, number seven for me. I don't know what you guys are at. Lucky seven. And you guys are 500 something. Well, so. I know I've definitely been here for all 500 and, and <laughs> four or five. I think Jay might have taken a nap on a few. Uh, <laughs> there might have been a couple. No comment. Yeah, no comment. but this is uh, lucky number seven. I'm glad. I'm. I've, I was actually really, uh, really heartened to, to read some of the Patreon comments in the lead up to this record because, you know, when you when you suggest something and you guys post it on Patreon, I'm like, oh man, I hope people, <laughs> I hope people like this record. I don't want to. And, <laughs> and when I choose stuff, I also think about you guys. Uh, I don't want to give you guys a record like, man, this isn't really very good. So. Um, I've tried to find something unique, a band that we've never talked about, and then something you guys like. And then when I read all the Patreon comments about people who are just so jazzed for this episode, uh, it really it really made my day. So I'm glad that a lot of other listeners like this record. Well, this has been on my like uh, list of bands that I know the album cover, I know the name, but I don't know what they sound like exactly. Yeah, I feel like this is a band that I know because they were always in the like local, um, you know, uh, arts and entertainment newspaper. It seemed like they were always listed as playing somewhere. <laughs> like <laughs> you flip sense. through, you know what I mean? It was like yeah. them and, and, and like Karma to Burn were the other band that like yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't know what they sounded like, but their name was always every month you would flip through there and be like, Oh, season, the risk is playing Cleveland again. Season, the risk is playing Columbus again. Carmen <laughs> Probably the grog shop right yeah. after. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's how I know this band is just because the name was always in those papers. Um, so I, I also feel like there were a few season to risk, uh, CDs in the used bins from yeah, the Columbia I, years. That's one of the things about being signed to a major label like this is like, you're going to end out in the, you're going to end up in the cutout bin, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Well, Chris, thank you for for bringing this to us. Like you said, a lot of people were jazzed that uh, you did. And so a, m- a bunch of people can now mark this off of their uh, potential album list and move on to uh, something else. So nice pick. You you anticipated the crowd. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. Because uh, like I said, I've been holding on to this one for a while. And it's like, yeah, we nobody still has done Season to Risk. So I want to do it. And I'm glad I got beat, beat everybody to the punch there. Nice work. Uh, if you would like to be like Chris and suggest an album, you can join us at Patreon by going to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. That's where you go to join the union. Vote in our polls. Suggest albums. You can help us suggest... You, you can help us uh, figure out our roundtable situation. We're always looking for roundtable ideas. And look, uh, we've got a new poll look, up for that. In the U.S., it's Labor Day next tomorrow or this week. I mean, what better thing could you do for Labor Day than join a union? There you go. <laughs> that's that's a good point, Jay. Uh, another thing you could do is you could leave us some uh, positive feedback at Apple uh, Podcasts. That's always uh, a good thing to uh, help us defeat the evil NPR and their podcasts, take down the evil empire. <laughs> uh, you can also suggest an album for one of our monthly polls at digmeoutpodcast.com. It's also where you can join the uh, sign up for the box newsletter delivered weekly after the intense work that Jay puts into it each Saturday morning. Uh, after <laughs> I, I put together oh, man. two quick reviews of new albums or, or books or, movies and then uh and then uh jay slaves away to put together typically i can knock it out in a couple hours but this week i did it with uh with cobra kai on and it took me forever (laughs) (laughs) it was really hard to concentrate i'm gonna be honest and getting it out on time so season one or season two uh i i just started it saturday morning season one uh as i was flipped over my laptop and started working on the newsletter so so you're done with season two now is what you're saying. I am. As of an hour ago, I finished season two. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, I'm midway through season one. At the, I've been spacing them out. And I also rewatched Karate Kid to to um, to pick up some, some more of the references. Got to watch. Gotcha. Uh, Got to watch the other ones as well. So. Yeah. That's it for Jay. I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out. <laughs>